Hello, I hope you're doing well and thanks so much for connecting with us today where we're going to be looking at the Word of God together. And we are in a sermon series called Beautiful Attitudes, looking at a sermon series that Jesus gave some 2000 years ago that we now know as the Beatitudes. Just a, uh, a stunning series of revelations from the mouth of Jesus about what God is like and about what his followers are to be like. And he begins to describe this very countercultural kingdom in technicolor glory. And it is challenging, it's provoking, it's encouraging. And I hope as you've been tracking along with us, you've really been hearing the Father speak to you in this series. And today we are in Matthew 5, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, up to this point in the Beatitudes, we we may have found it easier to recognize ourselves in some of the descriptions that Jesus has given. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, we know what that's like, many of us. Blessed are the meek. We understand meekness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, okay, I understand that. But today, Jesus says two seemingly impossible things. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I mean, the stakes are really being raised this week in these words of Jesus. Because firstly, who on the earth could say that they are completely pure of heart? I mean, my grandma, maybe. But I think for most of us mere mortals, who, who is pure of heart? And then the second impossibility is we're going to see God. We're going to see God. So Jesus here is really raising the stakes on both of these counts. And actually, we are meant to pause at this moment and think, gosh, I cannot do this. This has to be a work of God's grace. And that's really what this week's message is about. It's about the grace of God and how we see that in these two statements of Jesus. So firstly, let's just turn to those words that they will see God. And this really is the goal of purity. And John Piper says it brilliantly and succinctly as he often does. And he says this, seeing God is the great goal of being pure. Seeing God is the great goal of being pure. I love that because really encapsulates the reason that you and I were born. We were born to see and to know our creator God, our heavenly father. That's why we're on the planet. That's where we find our purpose, where we find our meaning, where we find our identity is in knowing and seeing God. And so purity, the goal of purity is that we might see God, that we might really achieve our deepest heart's desire and see God for who he really is. But let's just remind ourselves of what a shocking statement this would have been at the time that Jesus uttered these words. So Jesus is on a hillside in Galilee. He's teaching predominantly to Jewish people with a Jewish understanding who would have understood this, that unlike the pagan nations around them that were full of idols and sculptures and a myriad of other gods, 
Israel had one true God called Yahweh, who was eternal, immortal, and invisible. He was the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was the one true God. And, and what they believed was, actually, you can't depict God or sculpt God or create a shrine that depicts God in any kind of way. There's no image to represent God with. He's the invisible, uh, transcendent, omniscient one. And unlike the pagan nations, they had this understanding of who God was. You can't see him or make an image. And that's obviously in stark contrast to the Roman Empire that was the dominant power at the time who had just loads and loads of gods, you know, gods of war, gods of fertility, gods of love, gods for harvest, god for rain. They had a, a, a literally a physical god that they could go and visit a shrine of, make a sacrifice at the image of this god, whether it was Jupiter or Diana or some other gods. And literally they could go and see their gods. But Israel didn't believe that they believed that actually you can't see God and so Jesus comes into this moment and says blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God that is scandalous to the ears of those that would have been hearing this message for the very first time you know deep in the Jewish psyche would have been an understanding for example from the story of Moses where Moses is seeking God's glory and he says to God in Exodus 33 God show me your glory and God's response was go and hide yourself in the rock cover your face and I'll let my glory pass by but says God Exodus 33:20 you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live that was their understanding no one may see me said God and live and so he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and Moses just gets this glimpse of the afterburn of God's glory but he cannot see God face to face because otherwise he would have melted on the spot and died because the impure Moses would have come into contact with the eternal transcendent holy pure utterly brilliant and good God and so God actually saves Moses life you know it's not a punishment not to see God it was self-preservation he's like Moses I'm going to save your life you can't see me but I'm going to let some of my glory pass by and so this was in the Jewish understanding I cannot see God and live this is the context and Jesus is rewriting their history for them and he's saying you can see God you can see him so again we're meant to at this point pause and just say well how how can this be Jesus how can we see God and it's the gospel writers who really tell us the answer to this question we find it in John 1 verse 18 which says this no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So did you get that? No one has ever seen God, but through Jesus, God has been made known. The answer to our questions today, the impossibility of actually seeing this eternal, immortal God are answered in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the perfect revelation of what God is. Hebrews 1 says he is the exact representation of his being. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. He is the exact image of the eternal God. Jesus is the one who introduces us to be able to actually see 
God for ourselves. And that's amazing because you and I have access to something that Abraham and Moses and Gideon and all the patriarchs in the Old Testament long to have. But we now have as believers in Jesus. He is our access point to seeing God. And I think seeing God can mean a number of things, but let me just mention two. Firstly, to see God means that we have access into his presence. We have access into his presence. You know, this week when I went to see my doctor, I didn't just want to see a photo of my doctor or to see my doctor from a distance. I wanted to actually see my doctor. And so there's something about seeing that represents being in someone's presence, that we have an audience with someone, that we're invited in to actually commune and have fellowship with someone. And so to see God means that we now have access through Jesus to his very presence. Hebrews says we now have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. This is amazing. We have access to God's presence. Ephesians 2.18 in the New Living Translation version puts it like this. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus is our access point into the presence of the Father. You know, I remember going to Russia for the first time and to get into Russia, uh, I needed two things. Number one, I needed a visa from the Russian embassy. And number two, I needed an invitation letter from the churches that I were working with in Russia itself. Those two things gave me access into the nation. And I remember at the checkpoint as we went into the nation, those two things being studied very, very carefully. And as soon as they were satisfied, I was allowed into the nation of Russia. Well, in the same way, Jesus is our great access point. He is our eternal visa. He is our letter of invitation into the very presence of the Father. And so today, I would just encourage you, whatever's going on in your life, whatever state of mind you're in right now, you have free access to your Father God. You can come into his presence and see him and know him and be welcomed in as his child all because of Jesus, our great access point. And so this is the first thing it means to see God is about access to his presence. Perhaps another aspect of seeing God is that we are those who are awestruck by the wonder and the glory of God. We get to see something of God's glory. Now, of course, one day in eternity, we are going to come face to face with that glory. We're going to see it with our naked eye and live in the sheer brilliance of God's glory. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to know him just as we're fully known. But even now, we have an invitation to come and encounter God and be awestruck by his glory in this life. We have a Christian faith that is not just rules and dogma on a page, but this is a living relationship where we get to experience and encounter God in his otherness, his holiness, his brilliance. I love what Matt Redman, who is a great writer of Christian songs, says about his songs. He says, as a writer of worship songs, I have a hunger to write deep songs of passionate reverence to God. Yet I'm aware I cannot sing before I've seen. All worship is a response to a revelation. It's only as we breathe in more of the wonders of God that we can breathe out a fuller response to him. 
the key to a life of passionate and powerful worship comes from seeing God. Information may inform the mind, but revelation sets a heart on fire. And you see that. There's something about seeing the wonder of God in his person, his majesty, his holiness, that is fuel for worship. And so to see God means to have encounters with his person, to see him, to encounter his glory. And so this is the goal of purity. The goal is to see God and Jesus is the only way that we can see God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus. He is the narrow gate through which we enter to know God. And so this is an act of grace that Christ has come that we might see God the Father. So let's turn to the second part of our verse today that is the pure in heart who will see God. What does Jesus mean by purity of heart? Well, I think purity of heart has at least two parts to it. Purity of heart is firstly about people who have an internal righteousness, that inside we are now right with God. So it's an internal work of righteousness. But secondly, the pure of heart are those who have undivided devotion towards God. So it's those two things, internal righteousness and undivided devotion towards God. And we'll just consider both very, very briefly. So firstly, in internal righteousness. Uh, the word in Greek for pure in this particular verse uh, literally means clear, clean, blameless, and unstained from guilt. Clean, blameless, and unstained from guilt. In other words, this is a purity, a rightness with God on the inside. It describes righteousness, those who are righteous to the core. And here is the big problem. Firstly, the Bible says that there is no one righteous, not even one. That means that all of us, you, me, everyone on this planet is born into a state of being unrighteous, of not being right with God on the inside. That we are by nature objects of wrath, that we, we, we sin because we are born with a sin nature, with a nature to rebel against God and go our own way. That's how all of us are born, says the Bible. There's no one righteous, not even one. All of us fall short of God's glory. That's the first bit of bad news. The second problem is there's nothing you can do about it. No amount of self-effort or self-improvement or religious works or the doing of good deeds or the going to church or the reading of the Bible or the, you know, uh, kind of uh, attention to living a moral life. None of those human ways of doing life can fundamentally change our sin nature on the inside. So not only are we born unrighteous, there's nothing that we can do about it. So we are up a creek without a paddle. That's the bad news. And so to be righteous and pure of heart takes a violent act of God's grace. It takes God's intervention into our lives. He has to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. In other words, I need a savior. I need a rescuer. And you need a savior. You need a rescuer. You cannot make your own heart pure 
no matter how good a person you might think you are, we need the God of grace to step in. And this is the good news of the gospel. And this is how Romans puts it. Romans 3, 21 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. But we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? We are made right with God, pure of heart, by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, and yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this is why the gospel is such good news, because to be a Christian doesn't mean that you improve yourself. It doesn't mean through religious works you make yourself pure. No, 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 no. To become a Christian is not about working hard. It's actually about giving up, about giving up your self-reliance, your pride, your own way of doing things and trying to fix things. Becoming a Christian and following Jesus is actually an act of surrender where we say, God, I cannot make my heart new. Please, will you save me? That's what it means to enter the kingdom of God. We enter by violent act of God's grace through Jesus at the cross. He became our sacrifice in order that our hearts could be made brand new to be born again. So there's an internal righteousness, a purity of heart that can only come by accepting God's gift of grace through Jesus. And if you are watching these words and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage and implore you, seek out the claims of Christ. Put your trust in Jesus above your trust in yourself. Put your faith in what Jesus has done for you because that's the only way that your heart can be made clean. It's the only way my heart could become clean was the moment that I decided to follow Jesus and put my trust in him. So there's an internal righteousness, a purity of heart that's on the inside, but then there's also an undividedness to purity, that we're those that live with an undivided devotion towards God. Uh, The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And there is something that Jesus is saying here about those who live with an undivided heart towards God, that they are the ones that are going to see him. And I wonder if that describes you or I at the moment. Are we those that live with an undivided heart? You know, in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he had this uh, nefarious character called Mr. Facing Both Ways. And the idea with this guy is that he had one foot in the enemy's camp and one foot in God's camp. He was a bit of this, but also a bit of the other. He was facing both ways. James calls that someone who is double-minded, literally thinking in two different ways. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, there is a purity of heart that is about single-mindedness and 
undivided devotion towards God. Those who fix their course and they're like, all my eggs are in one basket. I'm running hard after Jesus. I'm going to live with an undivided heart towards him. This is what Paul says about that in Philippians 3. Verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not yet consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's it right there. Paul's saying, listen, I still make mistakes. I'm still going to get it wrong at times, but I'm living for one thing. I am pressing forward towards the goal, which is Christ Jesus. And so Jesus says to us, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who have an internal righteousness, that gift of God's grace, a clean, brand new, reborn heart. But also those who've decided to live, throwing away all their other options, but they're running after Christ. They are the ones in this life that will see God. And that's an incredible promise for us. So in conclusion, the only way to a pure heart is through Jesus. He is the access point. He is the doorway. He is the one who shows us what God is like. No one has seen God, but Jesus has made him known. And I guess my provocation to you as we close would be this. Are you living with an undivided heart? And you may want to pray with me right now. Psalm 86 verse 11, which says this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. And that's my prayer for you today, that God would give you an undivided heart that you might fear his name. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God bless you.